Good morning, everyone. I am Reverend Wendy Silvers, and you have arrived at the Awakened Mother podcast, weekly uncensored dialogues, uncensored, raw, unfiltered dialogues with leading edge, visionary, spiritual teachers, moms and dads on the ground, people that are engaged and immersed in work that is in support of the empowerment of moms and kids thriving. And today, I'm I'm just so happy that I get to share with you my dear friend and colleague, TJ Woodard. He is an international speaker and educator. He he entertains audiences, as you will see, he is magnetic, he is so deep, he is conscious, he is giving, he is just brilliant. He has he, he provides dynamic talks and training. He is an addiction treatment specialist. And I felt so called to have TJ on the Awakened Mother podcast because these past three years, um, especially the ones where we were in um, house arrest, really contributed to a lot of flaring up of addictive patterns and behaviors. And we'll dive into that more. But he created conscious recovery, which is an evolutionary, revolutionary approach to healing from addictive patterns. He uh, he's created programs and he works with uh, recovery centers and he does curriculum designing and clinical trainings. In 2018, He was given the distinct honor of being selected as a thought leader on wholehearted.org, along with Miriam Williamson, Brene Brown, one of my favorites, Dr. Gabor Maté, and Mark Lundholm. In 2017, he launched the Conscious Recovery Method. It is a groundbreaking and effective approach to viewing and treating addiction. It moves beyond simply treating behaviors and symptoms and addressing the underlying root causes and that drive these destructive patterns while providing clear steps for letting go of false beliefs, core false beliefs, we call them error of belief, that lead to addictive tendencies. So he works with residential and outpatient interactive groups and spiritual counseling sessions. And it is it is a method and a program that can be implemented in any existing treatment program and is intended to enhance holistic integrated care. TJ is also the founding minister of Agape Bay Area in Oakland, which was the first satellite community center of the Agape International Spiritual Center in LA, which is where I am affiliated. And that is where Reverend Dr. Michael Bernard Beckwith is the senior minister and founder of Agape. And TJ was ordained by um, Reverend Michael in 2018. He's also hosted the Conscious Being radio show on Unity Online Radio and the Awakened Living TV show in San Francisco. TJ published his first book, Conscious Being, Awakening to Your True Nature in 2015, and his second book, Conscious Recovery, A Fresh Perspective on Addiction, was released in December 2017. Conscious Creation, Five Steps to Embracing the Life of Your Dreams, was released in 2021. In addition to his three books, he has also authored four workbooks. One on addiction, one on mental health, one on eating disorders, and the latest is on teens. 
In 2010, he graduated from the Spiritual Development Program and in 2011 graduated from the Leadership Development Program, both at Unity Institute. This man has street cred, folks. So <laughs> help me welcome TJ Woodard. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Rev. Wendy. I just like that. That sounds like someone who's really busy. I'm like, wow, I feel energized just hearing all of that because, you know, I used to think that work um, was work. Right. And then I realized that when we discover, when I discovered true purpose and meaning, work is energizing. So the more you were saying that I've done over the last few years, the more energized I felt. And if there's nothing else we can say today that's profound, that is because I used to feel so depleted by my work. Yeah. That's a whole conversation, but I'm so grateful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm so grateful that you're here. We had the joy of dialoguing on Friday for Agape Spiritual Community Gathering, which I get to, I have the honor of hosting, being the host minister um, every four to six weeks. So it's just such a lively and incredibly enriching and enlivening, enlivening conversation. Mm -hmm. And I spoke a lot about conscious recovery. So uh, having been in the 12-step the recovery movement for approximately the same time, I really appreciate this uh, the radical approach to recovering from addiction that you provide. So in a nutshell, would you share, I'm joking because it's not something you could just like in a nutshell because it's such a lived experience. Will you describe how it came to be that you created Conscious Recovery, your path, and we'll go from there. Yeah, beautiful. Well, I wanted to start with what makes conscious recovery slightly different. Mm -hmm. And that is that we view the person who is either struggling with an addiction or in recovery as a whole and perfect being rather than fundamentally flawed or broken. Mm -hmm. And that may sound, um, in, in some ways, it's like, well, of course. And <laughs> in other ways, we look at many of the recovery models, many of the treatment modalities, many of the ways clinicians are trained the way people view someone with an addiction is through this lens of brokenness. And that mm -hmm. fundamental difference is very simple and very profound. Mm -hmm. The reason that it came to be is that when I was about a year to a year and a half sober, I wanted to kill myself. I didn't want to be alive anymore. And I hadn't addressed any of the underlying issues mm -hmm. of my addiction. And I was just so grateful to be sober my first year of sobriety. It was like, oh my gosh, no hangovers. I have this great community. I'm actually showing up to work. I was young. I was um, 20 when I got sober. So, you know, sort of these basic life um, skills had not been something that I had really <laughs> embraced too much, right? I was struggling yeah. with showing up to work and paying my bills. So um, when I was around 18 months sober and roughly, all of the things I hadn't yet addressed were showing up. And I didn't at the time realize I had the inner resources to address them. And so mm -hmm. I didn't know how to live. And I met a woman who was a student of new thought and Eastern philosophy and just beautiful enlightened being who introduced me to and walked me through a completely different way of viewing myself and recovery, starting with the foundation that there's a place within me that's perfect not that I'm fundamentally flawed or broken. And that momentary shift changed the trajectory of my life. And over the years, over the last 36 years, has become conscious recovery. Mm, I love that. It's so true. This It is a radical detour from being broken and damaged 
I've worked with so many people who describe themselves as being damaged and or damaged goods. And it hurts my heart when I hear that. And I know that there was a time in my own life when I felt like, oh my gosh, you know, what else do I need to do? <laughs> what else? And so it's so helpful to hear about uh, how you were introduced to the concept and to the to the knowing that you're not broken. Right. You're right. broken open. You've been brought to your knees, which Rumi said that you're when the world brings you to your knees, you're in a great position to pray. That's right. And right. So, so you were you were led. Is it was it Reverend Helen or was it uh, Mary Helen is her name? Mary Helen. Yes. Yes. And she led you into this coursework, really. But it's the inner coursework. That's right. And so that's piece. So, if you are somebody who is struggling with addictive patterns, one of the passages that I read from. Uh, from TJ's book that I so resonate with. And uh, I'm going to read it again because it speaks to uh, so many people don't recognize or they have such self-loathing and self-hatred toward themselves because of particular patterns. So I just wanted to read this because it speaks a lot to the work that we both do. The Outer Focus Life. It is on page five. It's at the very beginning of this gorgeous book. And it says, when we look at addiction, we, we might automatically think of dependence on drugs or alcohol. We might imagine a person who is utterly down and out, someone who has lost their job and their relationships and is destitute and homeless. While that is indeed one face of addiction, the definition I'd like to work with is much broader. Many of us live with a sense of emptiness or disconnection. We feel broken and empty inside and we look outside ourselves for a solution or we're uncomfortable with what we see when we look within. If we cannot bear to be with ourselves to look at that inner edge where our darkest feelings and memories reside, then we may turn outward for something that will seem to pull us back to safety. In any case, the pain of what's inside causes us to look outside for relief. So there's more to that paragraph, but I'll pause right there. So you've been in recovery for a period of time. You did get sober when you were very young. You've been in recovery. You've been in meetings. You start your path of inner growth and expansion. Tell us your, your path. Well, I think, well, I, I, I love hearing the paragraph read because it's just so my story, right? Mm -hmm. It's so my story of feeling so damaged and broken. And so when I came into recovery, honestly, Wendy, there was, there was um, a consciousness around me that was supporting that, right? People were, they weren't saying, yes, you're damaged or broken. And yet in some ways they were, you know, we heard things like, the the root of your problem is selfishness and self-centeredness, right? And I was like, oh, it's true. I am a bad person, right? That's how I heard it, even if that's not what they were saying, right? right. And I'm really aware right now. And one thing that came through in my meditation this morning was the idea uh, of the emergence of feminine energy on planet Earth, mm -hmm. uh, or maybe I should say a re-emergence, or yes, re-emergence, or in some circles, an emergence. <laughs> 
<laughs> it might be new for some of us, but yeah. what do I mean by that? And 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 I, I promise it ties into what we're talking about because the circles that I was um, introduced to in my early recovery felt very male. And when I talk about male and female, I'm not necessarily talking about gender. Um, I'm talking about the energy. And I'm also not, I don't want to be disparaging of any energy because all of it is useful, right? Like the divine masculine and the divine feminine, and even how we attach attributes to these genders is something we could talk about for three hours. For the sake of this conversation, <laughs> we're going to talk about it sort of how we traditionally do with what's traditionally male and traditionally female from an energetic perspective. So it was very traditionally male when I was like, you're, you're broken, you're the problem, sit down, shut up. That's literally mm -hmm. what they said. You don't know anything. Your best thinking got you here. And I felt so broken that I was like, yeah, they're right. Of course I'm, yeah, you're right. And so that whole idea was that I was going to surrender and let go of, you know, my self-will, which was very also what we would call that sort of male driven. And when I met Mary Helen, there was a there was a softness to her energy. There was a gentleness to her approach. She would say in her be beautiful Southern accent, darling, you're so precious. Mm. And I honestly, Wendy, I couldn't take it in, right? So I would I would re repel from that. And that was information for me. Mm -hmm. And at one point, I, I don't know if it was an event or a, a process, but I remember at one point thinking, she is literally the most enlightened person I've ever met. She is literally the most open-hearted person I've ever met. Her heartbreaking stories broke her heart open to a new right. way of seeing, right? Like you've said. And so at one point I thought, if she sees that I'm precious, who am I not to? She's the person I respect the most on planet earth. And she's telling me that everyone at their core is precious. And so that's a very, very different approach than like this idea of, you know, it's, I, I think about power versus force, right? David right. Hawkins in his book that we're entering and there's something emerging. And, and my, my intention with conscious recovery is to be a part of that where we're not trying to fight or battle. You know, we hear this language and it's, you know, we send people, to, to, you know, in human consciousness, we'd say we send them to their grave, but we know we're, we're transitioning them to the next level of existence. Yes. Using words like she lost her battle with cancer. And, and we're swimming in this consciousness until we wake up and realize, oh my gosh, there's a different way. Mm -hmm. Not a better way or a mm -hmm. right way, but a mm -hmm. different way of approaching through this more um, gentle, loving, and curious position rather than like, it's more like an openness. Ah, you just speak to my heart. I, I so resonate with all of that. I know I was one, I, I, one of the things that I've been told historically through all the different communities that I'm a part of is how hard I am on myself. Yeah. So there can be an invitation to really hold that harshness. And, and I feel as though um, for my own personal journey, it's softened a lot. Of course, because when you do the work that we do, the intentional meditation, the the prayer work, the visioning, the you know the conscious recovery, the being being responsible, the the words that we there's a softening yes. that happens, and so I know that in my world there's a lot of moms who are either in recovery right? From their own addictions or they're married to somebody or in relationship with somebody who is either active, dry, or in recovery. Mm -hmm. And their parenting 
And there's this very earnest, very genuine and earnest, sincere desire to do things differently and not pass on the same dysfunctional patterns, the same, you know, error of thought, the same core false beliefs that they were told. And so it's so helpful to allow somebody to know that they're not bad. Right. Right. That, so, so do talk to me a little bit about disease. Hmm. You have a disease. <laughs> I like you just threw that in there, right? Let's talk about disease. Okay, so so what we're talking about here is the disease model, right? Where right. sort of the party line since the mid 1930s um, has been it's not a moral deficiency, it's a disease, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was a profound shift in consciousness because before it was you're a bad person, you're morally, right. literally morally deficient. That was sort of right. how it was viewed. And we're talking about addiction back before 1935 for the most part. Uh, and of course, m- the medical establishment didn't know what to do, right? They couldn't find an effective approach. And um, truthfully, you know, um, 12 step came in or AA came in at that time and said, what if it's a disease, right? So that was a profound shift. And now we're in the conversation and I'm going to s- be careful how I say it. What if that's not the whole story, mm-hmm. right? Because when we talk about a disease, I hear people being told in early recovery, in treatment, in recovery circles, um, you can never heal. You have a chronic lifelong illness that can never be healed. And, you know, Wendy, you and I are students, well, I don't even know, we're students, we're, we, we're, pra- practic- we're practicing, right? Practitioners of new thought. So mm-hmm. we know that words have power and words mm-hmm. have energy. So if we say you're chronic, I feel mm-hmm. the energy of that. You, yeah. you have a lifelong illness that can never be healed. And so it was a profound shift in consciousness. And now we're saying, what if we can heal? Mm-hmm. What if the disease is not the whole story? Even if we do view it as a disease, what if that disease can be healed? Not that it's chronic and lifelong. Even if we do, if we say, I have a body, I'm not my body, then okay. even if we do say it's a disease in the body, we say there's something stronger and more powerful than that. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. not to negate it, that's to work with it, mm-hmm. right? So when we talk about she lost her battle with cancer, rather than saying that, it's like, okay, here's something that's happening in my body. How do I work with that now? Not how do I fight against it? Right. That's a profound shift. So even if you do believe or, or you have been taught or it's true that addiction is a disease, it's not the whole story because, you know, we could spend 30 minutes debating on whether it's a disease or not, but that might be centered in my ego. Instead, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But what gets created when I say it's chronic and lifelong, it can never be healed. And what gets created is say, oh, maybe it's less important if it's a disease and more important, how do I work with it? And can it actually be healed? And when do you and I know the answer is yes, we can mm-hmm. heal Actually, anything that we view as a disease, right. anything can heal that. Yes, thank you for that. I what I appreciate in what you're saying is, I when people are writhing on the ground when somebody's in the very early stages of withdrawal, yeah, it's hard to understand that it's it's a it's a physical, mental, emotional, spiritual malady. It's 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 the unaddressed trauma that has happened to somebody that compels them to seek outside refuge, refuge from what's going on in the head. And and so I really appreciate the very well-roundedness of 
conscious recovery and the work that that I do, which would be a form of conscious recovery because it's about recovering yourself. Because if you right. don't address the underlying, right? It's just like in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous where it says alcohol is but a symptom, right? So alcohol, drugs, I mean, there are drugs that we know like crack cocaine and meth that are completely physically addictive. And then, so there's got to be the detoxing of that physical pattern and then address the mental, emotional, and spiritual. You can't, it's, 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 and that's for me, one of, one of the frustrating experiences that I've had with people that have active patterns of addiction, I want to say as, as a way of dealing with their emotional pain or the mental dysregulation, it's this idea that A, they can handle it themselves, that B, they'll just control it. Yeah. And that's, that's not the solution. So what, what, with your clients that come to you, Right. And say, so I got this. I'm good. I'm really good. But, you know, their teeth are really, you know, they've done, you know, all these things wreak havoc on themselves, their families. Um, and, and we have this revolutionary recovery process that you've created. What what how do you work with them? What do you do with them? Well, we start. Th- there's two things that I would start with. One is. In conscious recovery, we call addiction a brilliant strategy rather than a coping mechanism. And we start with that because it is true for most of us, if not all of us, what we became addicted to in the beginning was was pleasurable, right? It it brought us the relief. So we don't want to say heroin is bad, right? Because, of course, we could find all the reasons to support that. When I start with someone, I start by asking, let's look at all the ways it really has been brilliant in your life, right? And then and then we can start to dialogue with that because nothing could be truer or less useful than telling someone they should stop using, right? Because that really isn't effective for someone in an addiction. It's like, no kidding, right? When I've been on, a, you know, because I've, I've, in my recovery, I have been addicted to shopping and like, you know, shopping, shopping, shopping. And if someone comes along and you shouldn't be doing that, I'm like, of course I shouldn't be, but there's something in <laughs> that's compelling me, right. compelling me. Right. And so if we can start to dialogue with it as a brilliant strategy and go back to maybe the first time of use, and it's, it's really counterintuitive in a lot of ways, because a lot of them, again, I'm going back to a lot of the models are like, you need to stop doing that. And my heart breaks for mothers and fathers. My heart breaks for them. And at the same time, sometimes the family members are the ones that are saying, especially let's say to their kid, their teenage, their young adult child who is working with an an addiction. um, It's really easy because we have fear, right? Just even energetically, they shouldn't be doing that because, you know, with heartbreaking honesty, we're watching this person potentially kill themselves. So this piece of saying it's brilliant, uh, a mother, I, I've worked with mothers of like, an, I, I'm thinking of a client, 19 year old using heroin treatment seven times. He was very much like you were describing. I'm fine. I don't know. Everyone else doesn't seem to be fine, but I'm fine with this. And the mother is like, I'm afraid you're going to die. I'm afraid you're going to die. And she, that was the, that was the narrative. And that fear of course is valid. And we honor that the message for the, the 19 year old was. 
I shouldn't be doing this. There's something wrong with me. Mom doesn't love me, right? And so starting with, okay, let's talk about the first time you ever used heroin. What was that like for you, right? What was brilliant about it? What was that pull? And then as you said, Wendy, then we become physically addicted to certain drugs and that's a whole other layer. So once we remove the physical addiction through detox, and unfortunately that's mostly what treatment does now, it's like, let's detox you and then give and you then, tools and send you on your way. But you and I both know that like, that is only the first step. We get yeah. the physical detox is where we start. Then, as you said, we start working with the mental, mental, emotional, and spiritual. So that foundation that it was a brilliant strategy, we dialogue with it along with this piece that we're gently introducing. What if you're not broken? Is there a place within you that's still unharmed and unharmable? When mm -hmm. we start to work with both of those, we start to see a profound shift. Yeah, I love that. I love that whole concept of strategy and that it's a brilliant, because it is a strategy. It is a, it is a very creative strategy to, yes. to snuff out and shut down the pain yeah. and that, that pattern. And I, I, I especially, and then it is such a strategy because when you have uh, kids that are bipolar, they, there's that self-medicating component to try and regulate the, the brain. Right. So it is a strategy to, to help. And I know that uh, a couple of the kids that I, that I worked with, unfortunately, um, their addiction, you know, their, their, their patterns, those, those those strategies um, didn't serve them. And, uh, and that was their, you know, as, as heartbreaking as it is, and it was that that is part of their soul path is the only way that I can approach that. Yeah. Uh, and I know that there's a, there's a dynamic that happens in a family when there's somebody that is acting out. And I've often, and I use that word acting out very gingerly, because again, it's a strategy to, to meet an unmet need. That is strategy. And uh, what I find, what, what's so always so curious to me is that when there's one in the family, like for instance, if there's a child in the family that is exhibiting this behavior, that is using these strategies, the family becomes so focused on them that they forget, like there's this blind spot. Oh, wait, but for 40 years, every time I come home from work, I have a drink or I light up a joint or I'm not available for my kid or, you know, I, oh, but it has nothing to do with me. It's them. Right. Yeah. And there are layers to it, right? Because the, the, I think that the, the nuanced position is to not move into blame, right? Because yes. blame, blame is the counterpart to shame, right? So Absolutely. if I haven't addressed my shame, um, which I identify as one of the three root causes of addiction. So if I'm walking around with my shame and 100% of the clients I've ever worked with, and I can say that with heartbreaking honesty, 100%, are carrying shame. And usually there's shame that's pervasive in the family, even if we haven't identified it as such. Mm -hmm. And so when, um, if I'm a mother, which of course I'm not, but I imagine I've worked with a lot of mothers, but I imagine that when there's this, what, what you said is acting out, right? Brilliant strategy. Someone is, you know, using heroin and causing harm in the world. 
that intensifies the shame mm -hmm. and the unconscious um, way we work with shame is to blame. And that's, yes. that's, that's the disease in our world right now. That's the pandemic. Shame is I the agree. pandemic along with blame, right? So if I, if I'm not willing or able to work with my shame, I'm going to point a finger at someone else and blame them, or I'm going to blame myself, which just keeps the shame in a downward spiral. So I'm broken. I act broken. I have more shame because of what I just did. And then I blame myself and go, it's downward, downward, downward spiral. And the family system, like you said, points to the person that's the most obvious. Well, I'm not the one out doing heroin or I'm not out the one out doing whatever it is, cheating, um, whatever that behavior mm -hmm. is. As we look at it as a system, we can gently move out of blame and into curiosity. Let's be curious about what's created this, not mm -hmm. it's mom's fault, it's dad's fault, it's my child's fault. Mm -hmm. Let's take fault and blame out of the equation and start to become curious about, because, you know, when do you and I know that it's wanting to heal? It's yes. presenting because it's wanting to heal. And the opportunity is to move toward the healing or we go into blame and keep, and keep ourselves stuck. That's kind of what's happening right now in our culture, even though I don't think it's really happening, but that's what people are saying is happening. It's not the only thing happening, yeah. but there is a lot of finger pointing and blame. And that is simply a symptom of unresolved trauma and shame. Yes, I thank you. I really i have this way of looking at something when it happens and i i whenever there i i i look at it as shame is definitely one of the you know the three faces of of that addictive pattern and i think of it as there's a judgment right so there's the family system there's judgment either self judgment or other judgment as you so beautifully articulated in here there's the other then there's victim so where am I a victim? Where, where are you making me a victim? Where are you? It's the you, right? And then it's then there's this entitlement yeah. piece. And it's this shouldn't be happening. You shouldn't treat me. They shouldn't. It's this. And, it, I'm, and again, when I use the word entitlement, I'm not blaming. I'm not making this. I'm just saying this is the, the defensives. Right. These are the right. strategies that are used. That's right. And the invitation through conscious recovery and conscious living is to be what I, I call radical, radically self-responsible. Mm, I love it. Which is so huge. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's the entryway. I mean, if you want to, to, to heal what you're talking about, it's, it's that being curious, acknowledging the strategies. It's looking at the ways in which I show up in every area of my life. What, are the, what am I telling myself? Yeah, and I love where you're going with it. You didn't use the word compassion, but as you're speaking, I hear the compassion that's coming with that. We're not talking about self-criticism and blame. We're talking right. about self, this self-accountability. Um, I had a spiritual teacher once that said, my religion is I am accountable. <laughs> like, let me be accountable, but not from a place of judgment, as Wendy mm -hmm. said, but from a place of curiosity. Mm -hmm. And you talked so eloquently about entitlement being the strategy for the shame. 
Yes. Right. The victim consciousness, you, you tied those together. And that's something we want to be really curious about because what happens is we develop a sense or a belief in our own brokenness that has a frequency attached to it. Yes. But in, in conscious recovery, we call core false beliefs. Often mm-hmm. I am not lovable. I am not worthy. I'm not good enough. I'm broken. So if we look at I'm not lovable, or if we look at the victim consciousness, mm-hmm. right? I am mm-hmm. a product of being a victim. So if my core false belief is I am a victim, my strategy might be to act really entitled. I have acted really entitled in my life. And I can tell you exactly what it was managing, even when I wasn't aware of it, was that I'm not worthy. Yes. So usually we look at someone based on their behavior and we even, you know, go to therapy for 20 years or treatment eight times. And we're looking at the behaviors, the, even the thoughts, the, mm-hmm. the behaviors, the thoughts, the behaviors, the thoughts, and we're in this repetitive cycle. And when we can become curious about whatever the behavior is as a strategy, mm-hmm. then we can ask, what is it managing? Right. We, we tell people you need to manage your anger. And instead of let's send someone to anger management, we want to ask, what is the anger managing? Yes, masking. Completely different. Yes. What's at the root of that? And I'm always curious. I don't don't want to ever think I know what someone is masking or managing, but I'm always curious about the opposite. So if someone's asking entitled, acting entitled, I want to ask questions about the possibility that it's that they feel worthless. Right. So we want to start dialoguing, not with the strategy, but with the core false belief. That's where it gets healed. And that's the work, the deeper work that you and I do. It's the deeper work of conscious recovery. It's the deeper work at Agape, all these Mm -hmm. conscious communities that are saying it's not what's happening in the world. That's Mm -hmm. not the issue, Mm -hmm. but only 100% of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you said something on Friday that I really appreciated. And, uh, and it reminds me of something I heard recently that 99% of something is a bitch, but 100% of something is easy. Right. I, I said- um, You didn't no. say the bitch, I put the bitch. <laughs> I said nine, nothing is more painful than 99% surrender, right? Yeah. That's, yeah. You know, that's been my journey, right? It's like um, when I first learned that the world was a hologram that was pictured by me, the projector, I was like, yeah, that's probably true 99% of the time. There, are, there, are, there is that group of people that are just not good people. And there they are over there. there it's their fault, right? So I'm like, okay, maybe it's my perception, but that, that 99% surrender was some of the most painful parts of my life. When I was yeah. just in victim consciousness and blaming the world, there was some comfort to that. I didn't have to be accountable for anything. And then as I became accountable, I'm like, oh, oh, oh. (laughs) And then there's the, oh, wow, there's the freedom at that Mm -hmm. other point of surrender. And because the only surrender we really make is to understand that we're infinite beings. Yes. And that surrender is like, oh, wow, it's not the Republican Party or the Democrat Party or the, it's not that. That's, that's just, that's the collective hologram mm-hmm. based on generational stories, ideas, beliefs, and frequencies that have been passed down. And we as infinite beings can interrupt that 
and say, no, that's not the sacred. No is no, I'm not going to buy into the paradigm. I'm not going to watch CNN. I'm not going to watch Fox news. I'm not interested in that conversation. There is so much love happening in the world, but the six o'clock news, if they even have that anymore, I'm dating, (laughs) but the news is saying, look how horrible the world is constantly, constantly, constantly. And we have a different choice that we can make. And Mm -hmm. we only make it right now, right? in Mm. Yes. I'm with you. A hundred percent. I know you are. Not ninety nine percent. Not ninety nine. A hundred. Because I too, I really, I can, I know that my entitlement covered up the defensiveness, covered up that feeling like crap about myself. And uh, so I love what you're saying. And a hundred percent, I love the go where the love is. Yes. Go where the be the love. Not even go where the love is. Be the love. And it 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 really dovetails into what we were talking about at the top where you talked about the emergence of the feminine. Because when I hear you speak and we're having this dialogue, if do you see my, it's like the wave, it's like, that's the feminine way. And there's times when that, you know, the masculine for for lack of a a better is, is all, you know, it's, it's going forward. It's that, that very energetic forward. Not that the feminine isn't, but the feminine is this this flow this this spiral and so i hear you and i feel that feminine energy and i appreciate it so deeply because we are caught uh, in this world that we are living in the external uh presentation of the world is this over here, over here, this side, this side, but we're talking about the weaving. Yeah. Imagine a world where everyone paused, just just, uh, really imagine for a moment, everyone pauses and becomes curious. Yeah. You know, one of the people that I have such a great amount of respect for is my friend, Zach Bush, MD. He, He talks about curiosity all the time. Mm-hmm. Right? because th- that knowing that need to know that I have the answer that literally is the root of every problem in the world. It comes down to something so simple. I am right. And you are wrong. That's the primary disease of the mind in the world. That's what mm-hmm. causes all the pain and suffering, right? It is that like, that's what causes wars. That's what causes divorce. That's what causes all the issues that we're having. So if as each of us pause and become curious which to me is the feminine, it's the openness, as you said, I, I love that because it is, it's moving with instead of against whatever's mm-hmm. happening. Mm-hmm. And then if we become curious, we open up to infinite possibilities. Mm-hmm. And so that, that um, sacred feminine, like, you know, we're having a conference this week in Orange County where the theme is the emergence of feminine and energy, share. leadership in leadership. Yes. And yeah, and thank you for sharing that because it's it's I'm 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 now getting really excited about the conversation. We are exploring how as leaders, if you look at leadership with most companies in America or the world, most governments, it's been fairly male dominated for several thousand years. I remember I think it was David Letterman was interviewing someone and it, this person was a Muslim person and he said what is it like not ever having had a, a female president in your Muslim country? And she said, how is it not ever having a female president in your country? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So again, we're not, we're not necessarily talking about gender here. We're really talking about this energy 
And so, yeah, so this is our beautiful array of speakers we're going to have. Reverend Temple Hayes is a wonderful person in the New Thought Movement. Esther yes, Nicholson, yes. Um, she's, you know, wonder. all of these speakers are coming together, and I love each one of them individually. My friend Mackenzie Phillips, who is phenomenal, Adriana Popescu. We're coming together to have a conversation about the emergence. We could have called it the emergence of curiosity, right? The emergence of holding space, the emergence of looking at addiction, not through the lens of brokenness, but through that lens of wholeness. So mm -hmm. I'm super excited. It's happening in Orange County this Thursday and Friday. I know yes, and be there. I'll make sure everybody can see that to participate and to attend www.consciousrecovery.com forward slash emergence. And it's, I, I really appreciate that you're doing this because I talk about my work is about restoring the yeah. sovereignty of the mother. And it's really that energy yeah. of the mother in our world that feels so imbalanced. Yeah. And it's that, but it's the deepening. It's the really tapping into that place within and getting curious and looking at the strategies and exploring you know, where that emerged from, like we're talking about emergence and I, it makes me think of the field being ripe and then the emergence That's right. happens. So the field, the field is real, folks. There is a real field in which we live, move and have our beingness, it's there. And so universally, we have the opportunity to dial up the love, to dial up the peace, to dial up the compassion. These are these are not qualities outside of us. We see them outside of us, but they are inside of us. Yes. And I and love, yeah, I just, I love what we're talking about because we're not talking about male and female here. We're talking about the different energies that live within each of us and just becoming curious about what gets created when I tap into both of them. They're both really useful. I mean, in the um, Tibetan tradition, there's something called a dorji, which is a double dorji is supposed to balance your masculine and feminine energy. This isn't about being anti-male or anti-masculine exactly. energy. It's all really useful yes. for me. And this is just for me. I'm not saying mm -hmm. it for anyone else. My issue was I was running with that as the dominant energy, right? I needed to like crush it. I need to dominate. I need to figure this out. I need to make it happen. I was exhausted and depleted. My body was showing it. I was in addiction. And then as I started becoming curious about balancing those two, that's when we start to look at the, the divine masculine of the action springing from the intuitive, mm -hmm. springing from love, mm -hmm. springing from con compassion and connecting those two. I had someone say, oh yeah, um, I'm looking forward to your women's conference. I'm like, it's not a women's conference. That's not, I mean, we do have amazing, powerful women speaking. And this is really about, as you said, Wendy, it's about recognizing those energies within us. And the emergence of the feminine energy isn't about squashing the masculine. Right. It's about bringing them both forward because mm -hmm. we have been really male dominated for the last 2000 years. What else is possible? What else is possible when we think if we go back to basics, right, go back to basics and we think about in the villages, and I'm really mostly thinking about our first people, but when we go back to that, we think about the warriors, the, the women were inside the village, they were gathering up the herbs and the berries and taking care of the babies and 
doing things and and the men the the men the the male identified men were were holding this container mm. and so when we are in right alignment there's such a place for 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 both and even those that in the communities that were referred to as two spirit right that that you know maybe we're in our world we're non-binary or you know to that extent there was an acceptance and so this is i'm going to go out on a limb here but you know that 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 white western mentality of yeah. i know better that you spoke about that that i have often joked to uh, called know-it-allism <laughs> know-it-allism indeed yeah right you know i know it all i got it the minute we move into know-it-allism we lose we lose and so to a great extent i think people don't realize the ones that are returning to regenerative farming the ones that are planting seeds and you know and the whole metaphor of planting seeds but the ones that are literally hands in the dirt doing that it's really a return yeah it's a return to that beautiful honoring of life yeah. which is what conscious recovery offers the sanctity of life returning now i'm not going on to issues but that 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 sanctity of honoring and revering a person's journey from a place of choosing strategies that initially worked but don't sustain right. into a life that works that's right beautifully said wow i love that thank you yeah thank you my dear so <sighs> So if, are there any parting words that you would like to share? I will absolutely make sure that everyone has access to uh, join you in Orange County this weekend. It's this Thursday and Friday. Uh, it will be glorious. I am certain. I am certain of that as well. Yeah, I mean, I would just invite to come play with us for two days and this playing with this new, playing with an awareness of the what's emerging in our culture and looking at it through the lens of curiosity and my mm -hmm. closing words I, my closing words are usually the same and that is if no one has told you today you're a whole and perfect spiritual being mm -hmm. because that's the message that changed my life and so that's the message i offer all of your viewers and listeners in this moment mm -hmm. so beautiful Thank you so much, TJ. I, I also wanted to dive into uh, the, the dialogue of what kind of pushback you may have received from being this visionary who is uh, holding up this mirror. So far, so good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Our, our, yeah, we, we could do a whole show on that. We our, could, we should. Yeah, we I've should. had a couple of people who are, are, you know, very much in the public eye, and that's been part of their journey, too. And I think yeah. any of us who stand for something that's profound, there'll be a consciousness that isn't in agreement. I've had a, a little bit of that, and I honor that and stay true to the, the vision and the mission. And that is that you are a perfect and whole, complete human being you are beautiful you are brilliant you are here on purpose with purpose thank you mm. thank you tj for being the visionary who stepped out on the skinny branch mm. and said 
Uh-uh. We're going conscious recovery here, folks. <laughs> we are going curiosity. We are going strategies. We are going emergence. We are going next level mm. recovery wow. of your authentic self. I'm so honored. Thank you, Wendy. And thank you for this beautiful platform where we can have these conversations. You're so welcome. I, I appreciate you. And uh, I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing and for the absolute 100% stand that you are taking so that people can have a new vision for their life so that they can put down the substances and the processes that get in the way of their free and full self-expression. Hmm. Thank so, you. Have a wonderful, wonderful emergence this coming October 13 and 14. And uh, I love you. Love you too. Thank you. Peace and blessings.